Amen. Matthew chapter 12 from verse 46. While he yet talked, while he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. Then he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brethren? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers and sisters? Verse 49. And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Amen. I said, Amen. Let's read Matthew chapter 10. The same Matthew just come back to chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, 34 to 37. Can I read it? Are you with me? Matthew 10, verse 34. Do not think that I am come to send peace on this earth. I came not to send peace, but a soul. That means war. That means war. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, thy son against father, because of Jesus Christ. Not because of any other thing, because of Jesus Christ. And the daughter against her mother, all because of Jesus Christ. Before Jesus came into the family, son and father were at peace. Ever since Jesus came, Rahala day. And the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. All because. Answer me, all because of Jesus. Now look at verse 36. And a man's enemies shall be they of his own household. Who is talking? Is it me or you that is talking there? Who is talking here? Verse 37. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. You love your mama. You love your papa. 
God is not angry about that. But if you love them more than you love Jesus, now they will have a day. They will have a day for who like Papa and Mama past Jesus Christ. Is it me that is saying it or Jesus Christ? Is it in your Bible? Say you are not supposed to like Mama and Papa past God. Is that in your Bible? I'll take it again. He that loveth father or mother more than, more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Hmm, let's read it. Look up. I teach, I want to teach this morning. Trying to have a kind of mind and body disposition that will enable me to teach. So I'm trying to count. I want you to please open your ears very well. It doesn't require any preaching. You need a proper understanding of this issue or this subject. I have titled this teaching Relationships Redefined and Restructured. Relationships redefined and restructured. Can you say that with relationships? Redefined and restructured. One more time. Relationships redefined and restructured. And this teaching will look at kingdom's presentation of a new standard of relationship. That's this teaching is a kingdom presentation. In other words, it, it is a Jesus introduction of a new standard of relationship. Because it's what Jesus said that we just read. Jesus is making an introduction of a new standard of relationship. In other words, we have this idea, before Jesus ever came into this world, we have this idea about relationships, various kinds of relations, father, mother, husband, wife, siblings, brothers and sisters, they love each other. Parents love children. Children love parents. Or oh, two guys who are very close friends. Classmates. Or oh, a colleague in the office that's very friendly with each other. What is our relationships? Or oh, even the relationship that exists between landlord and tenant. The day you became a tenant, there is now a relationship between you and the owner of the house. Whether you like him or not, so long as you are living in his house, that relationship is landlord-tenant relationship. And uh, the text read in chapter 12, the Bible says Jesus Christ was in a house 
having a meeting with his disciples. And of course, you can understand he had an itinerant ministry. Jesus was never really localized. He never stayed in one place running a church. He was always holding crusades, teaching, preaching crusades, carry town to town, village to village. Tomorrow is in Galilee, the next day is in Capernaum, the other is in Bethsaida. You know, moving from place to place, preaching, teaching. And anywhere he went, crowd followed him. Until he got to a place where he would stay. And then he was able to see that. And then he begins to teach. And he healed their sick. And that is his. He, he healed people. He was doing that from place to place. He came to somebody's house and they were having an indoor teaching, something there. And you can imagine the mother of Jesus, Mary by name, and her other children. You know, Jesus was in his early thirties. People would say, well, we, 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 me and my husband, we are coming from travel. We went to Osusu place and we saw a great crowd gathered and we, we moved closer and saw that it was, it was the son Jesus that was teaching people. So, Oh, so now you see my degree. Don't tell where I see him. There was no telephone in those days. There was no telephone in those days. It's like somebody is in Lagos and your son is in Ibadan and he can be there for a week from there to Malaysia and then from there back to Lagos. But if in Lagos, you do not even come to your village. This Lagos set is so big. Somebody can be in Aja and the other one is in Solo. So you are still not seeing each other. No telephone, no video call. So Mary began to meet, not only Mary, Mary and the siblings of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ had half brothers and sisters. Those ones that were fathered by Joseph. Because Jesus Christ wasn't uh, a biological son of Joseph the Carpenter. But after Jesus was born by Mary, Joseph took Mary with his wife. And he went on to father some guys and some and some else. So those ones at the point will even be angry. So what kind of a person is this? Hey mama, this is your son Jesus, not even remember to come and even see you. He's eh? a man of the people, but he's not a man of the family. It's not a family person. It's always out everywhere. And the one that's okay, let's go out. Since we hear he's only a crusade in the nearby town, this one we can easily just, uh, maybe it's even about three uh, streets away or something like that. Let's go. And so Mary, leading the, the siblings of Jesus, went to the place. And it was still difficult for them to even see him because Jesus was in that house. But you can see that the door, the entrance, the windows, some people will be just peeping. Some people would be here to hear him speak. They could not even get some people did not even see Jesus. They were just straight to see. And Mary and, and the siblings of Jesus came and, and told somebody, please, tell, tell, tell me that mommy will be in my mind. Tell me, man, I've been standing outside since. Make me please come, make I even see you. Make it come with me. And so that one managed to get across the message to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, 
your mother and your brothers and sisters, when they say your mother and your brethren, the word brethren is talking about brother and sisters. So brethren is not just plural of brother. No, it's brothers and sisters together. It's the word, the word brethren King James is used for. So your mother, your brethren, they are outside all the same. And Jesus is engrossed in his teaching. This was a man who was teaching his Samaritan woman at the well of Jacob. And the disciples went to town because Jesus said he's hungry and sent them out to go fetch food for him. When they brought the food, they met him teaching the lady. They said, Oh, that food is ready. He said, Wait for it. I have a better food to eat than this one that I sent you guys to go get for me. This is a man who was already hungry and sent guys to go get food for him. By the time they brought the food, they meant that he was teaching one girl, one lady. And the way he saw the way they are giving signs, he said, Oh, I have meat to eat. The word meat there is food that you don't know of. He said, The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. In other words, Jesus Christ was telling people, When I preach, now my proper food will be that. He's trying to say the best food you can give me is to create an opportunity for me to teach the word of God. I take teaching the word of God, preaching the word of God as food for me. He was telling the disciples that. And that was a big lesson to those guys. Amen. This man is so full of sin. He forgot his hunger. Oh, that happens a lot. Now, Jesus says something here. He said to the person that told him his mother and brothers and sisters are outside, he decided to see him. He said, he asked himself, who is my mother? Did you read that today? He said, who is my mother? And who are my brethren? Why did Jesus say that? They say, your mama, they outside. Because your brothers and sisters, they want to see you. You they ask the person, who be my mama? Who will be my brother? Who my sister? I'm sure that person will be staggered at that question. Say, ah. I will tell her, say, mama wants me. They ask me, say, who be mama? How many mama you get? You understand? You see, Jesus Christ never spoke like a regular man. He ever spoke, you know, there's, there, there's a place in this Bible, there's some, some cults or soldiers that were sent to go and arrest Jesus. When they, 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 they got there, they didn't even see Jesus, they just heard him talking, the place was jam-packed. And they told you, they think, I don't know how loud his voice was, but Jesus was inside, they could not even see him, and they stood, the soldiers come to the city, they said, go and arrest Jesus. And they, they, they heard him, They were so, what they were hearing there, touched them. They were held so mad by the words of Jesus Christ. The soldiers, they shook heads. They saw the guys, we know we know they are this one. The commander said, they are going to say, this man, let's go, we cannot arrest him. No, we cannot arrest him. 
You know, that this is not an ordinary man. The things that is coming from this man's mouth, this man is not an ordinary person. So, I perceive if we even arrest this man, this crowd can lynch us. Because if you send five policemen to a crowd of 10,000 people, how many you want should the rest go? They can kill the policemen. So, when police see how the crowd be, they themselves, because they are, they, are, they are not too many, they will just say, let's go. But this time, they were touched in their hearts by the words that came from the mouth of Jesus. They didn't even see him, they heard him. He's like, this man is too full of charisma. He's not another person. So, I'm not arrest this man. Let's, let's go and tell those who sent us, the chief priests and the elders of the people. Let's go and tell them, no, we, 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 we will look for our answer. Either we will tell them, we will not say him, or we will tell them, just, let's, let's not arrest him. We'll just find something to say. And the soldiers went back to the elders and the chief priests. And when they came, yes, yes, wait, see, have you arrested him? <laughs> they looked at them and said, Answer now, have you arrested him? Then their, the, 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 their leader said, Sars, never man spake like him. Put your hands together for G. That's King James. Sars, Never man speak like you. You know that? Sars, no man has ever spoken like that man. You say we should go and arrest He's not an ordinary person. In fact, we do not arrest him. <laughs> and I'm sure the chief priest will be wondering, ah, you just heard words from his mouth and you lost your sense of mission. Just words. Uh, yes, sir. Um, so, that man, I'm not sure if you arrest him. You do it that the two they come up from that man's mouth. Let's clap for Jesus one more time. And that's the reason when Christians talk anyhow, he pains you. That was a let the word of the believer be seasoned with salt. Your words should be very sweet. You fry egg without salt. It not go sweet. Salt is a seasoner. It's a purifier. It's a preservative. Let the words flavor your words with salt. In other words, before you speak as a Christian, remember the way Jesus spoke. He never spoke carelessly. He spoke with every sense of meaning. And his words were full of revelation, full of truth, full of grace and truth. His words were pointed. And his words, every ear that heard them tingled. Nobody ever spoke like Jesus. Who is my mother? Of course, I can tell the other one, you don't know how to answer. And then he just said, Well, come. You see these ones that have that been sitting down here listening to me? You don't know how long they've been listening to Jesus with rapt attention. He said, You see all these ones? They love the words that are coming from my mouth. They are, they are forgotten, they are hungry. He said, Now, these kind of people are like. 
He said, these are my spiritual fans. They are my fan base. People that like the word of God. People that want to hear the master speech. He said, I'm a fan of this kind of people. He said, these are my favorite people. And these ones, I prefer them to those my siblings outside. Because those my siblings ought to be here to sit down and hear me. They prefer to be with my mama. mama. Why those brethren of Jesus not sitting down because the place was not far from his home, but he has been preaching up and down, and then he preached back to his village, and now other people came to sit down to hear the master speak. But the brothers and the sisters of Jesus, they they are even angry. Mommy, you know what? Don't mind Jesus. Now we like you, Pastor. Uh, I'm so happy not be only Jesus was born. Uh, I know saying, Mama, you like Jesus because it's him that opened the womb. He that opened the womb, the first speaking. Uh, but you see now, he doesn't, he hardly look for you. He's always preaching up and down. Uh, we are the ones that love you. They want to spoil the belly of their mother against Jesus. And that's why none of them was a believer until Jesus, until Peter had headed the church in Acts chapter 2. None of the brethren of Jesus Christ believed even in his ministry. They didn't. So they were half brothers. Same mama and different papa. They didn't like him. None of his siblings or Mary was a disciple of Jesus Christ. Mary ever believed in her son as the savior of the world. Mary ever knew, ever had the knowledge that she was pregnant of something greater than herself. A pregnant woman knowing that she is carrying something greater than herself. Now, when Jesus Christ said to that guy, he said, see these people that are listening to me. They don't want to blink. They, want to, they, they don't want to be distracted. They love hearing the word of God. He said, I'm a fan of this kind of people. These are my favorite." I'm letting you know today, as I see these people, I can as well stay here till tomorrow morning if they are not tired. I can keep teaching. I have a, I like teaching. And these kind of people, they are my brothers. Not all those them, uh, James and uh, the other one. So tell them to go. I know saying that, Mama. When this crusade is over, I will find that to go and see them. I say now your mama they are hey, I'm telling you that these ones are they are my mama, they are my brothers. Now, does that not tell you Jesus was radical and he was not a rascal? Jesus wasn't a rascal, but he was a radical. That day, Jesus redefined what brotherhood is. He redefined what siblings. It's all about. He said, these that hear the word of God, they are my brothers, they are my sisters. In other words, he said, these are my family. These ones are my family members. Can I tell you that I have a brother, same father, same mother, who is a Muslim, same father, same mother. My mom is a Christian. My dad is here. He was a Christian. How did they manage to have a son that grew up to be a Muslim. Now, as far as 
kingdom redefinition of relationship is concerned, that man, that boy is not my brother. He's not. He's not my brother. Well, according to the flesh, he's my brother. But somebody help me look at the place in the Bible. Henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Second Corinthians 5 16. Read it. Second Corinthians 5 16. Second Corinthians 5. Let me pick that up from King James or New King James. Take the microphone. New King James. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him for us no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen? Now, Brother Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, and I'm reading it to the Korodu church. Brother Paul wrote that into the Corinthian church. He said to them, he said, since the church age, since Jesus rose from the dead, and the Holy Ghost was seen down to bake those individual believers in the upper room into a spiritual organism called the church, since the church was inaugurated, we no longer see man according to Tribal affiliation, parental, uh, where you come from. It's a henceforth, meaning from now on. No, we know man after the flesh. That's why in Christ there is no Jew nor Greek. If you allow tribalism and ethnicity in church, some pastors have made up their mind they can never ordain somebody that is from a certain tribe. As if, you know, a church grows, you have many pastors. At the time, I was the only pastor in this church. That's what I told you need associate pastors to assist. And then somebody will say, hey, that person you have chosen. When I'm in church, I don't look at where people come from. So there are some pastors, there are no politics inside church. And so there are these big churches. They say, the person that we are going to send to be the area pastor, we must let him be. Now, some churches you can't reach the top if you are not from the tribe of the first general of Asia. I thought there's an unwritten law in this church, the Yoruba Makan. So, you see, Parako inside church. One name. Okay. <laughs> and then, if a Yoruba man founds a church, Naso, you go so be. <laughs> I wrote something here. Let's listen to this. God is not against family ties. Somebody is your brother, your sister. God is not angry about that. Recognizing them as your brothers and sisters or recognizing your father, your mother. Honor your father and your mother is in the Bible. Obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and your mother. Those things are very scriptural. God is not breaking down family ties just for fun. Is that correct? God is not against family ties. I'm reading something here. 
But if they stand in the way of your Christian life, God is not against family ties. But if they stand in the way of your Christian life or your peace, your papa, your mama, your siblings now stand in the way of your Christian life. Or they stand, your papa, your mama, your siblings are clearly now standing in the way of your peace and progress in life. It is time to treat them as if they are not your family members. Listen, listen. In my moment of meditation, what I wrote there is what I just read. What I read to you there, I wrote it. God is not against family ties. Honoring your father, your mother is okay. But, Jesus is talking. If he now turns on you that these your biological parents are now standing in the way of your peace, standing in the way of your progress in life, or they are in any way engaged in activities that are inimical to your spiritual health, it is time to undermine those relationships. It is time to stop saying, Mama na mama. It could be bad, yo. Mama na mama. If you like, make it one kill me, yo. Mama na mama. No, 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 no. I said, God is not against family ties. But if they stand, they will still life for peace and purpose. Do away with them. Jesus said, even if it is your that will make you to sin and go to hell. Pluck it out. Say if it's your hand, your foot, that will cause you to sin. Cut it off. If now your mama, now your papa, now your brother, now your sister, now it will make you derail in your Christian walk. Cut them off. And when you cut them off, say, ah, the whole mama way born, you will breastfeed you. Is that, is that woman even behaving true to time? Is she even behaving like she, she, she suckled you? Hey! When you come into Christianity, a lot of things will be restructured. They are saying, let's restructure Nigeria. In your family, there is restructuring. Jesus Christ says, listen, listen. I'm not the one that said it to you. I'm just quoting what he said. Jesus Christ said, from today, he said, that's all. I not, he said, none of you should think I brought peace to this world. He said, I brought a division and a sword. He said, from today, on account of me, Jesus, father will be against her, mother against uh, daughter, in-law against her. Uh, do you know why it will happen? Because, let me tell you why. Jesus Christ is not saying, oh, I came so that there can be division. No, his motive of coming is not so that there can be warfare. But he said that is an inevitable concomitance of my coming. As I am trying to save humanity, the devil will raise up some of humans against the humans that are receiving the salvation. As he teaches the salvation, the gospel of peace, some people are embracing it. The most peaceful people in the world are the Christians. 
So as soon as you preach Christ, the family is already divided. Those who accept Christ and those who don't believe in Christ, persecution will start. Persecution will start. Jesus said, I know what will resolve. He said, my coming into this world, even though I'm trying to make for peace, he said, but you go even aggravate the matter. Those who don't believe, they will fight those who believe. The Tainlo has said Christ. But the Lord will be mad. Because the son is telling her, Mommy, talk to my wife. Let's say, uh, you know, we are in Muslim family. My wife don't accept Christ. So I'm warning her now that uh, we cannot be Christians in this house. Daughter-in-law will come to Lagos and be warning. Uh, uh, Mother-in-law will come to Lagos and be warning daughter-in-law. My son said, I should tell you, see, this family will make us as Muslim. We can't do this for Christianity. So when who accepted Christ after they were already married? Yeah. And those fathers, those husbands will say, we can't do it in this house. Anything this happen. They'll be fighting you. It's even more so if your mother in law is a witch. You say mother in law against the father in law. Father in law against son in law. By the time you accept Christ, you are now having a life of power. When you are doing singing, while you are washing place in the kitchen, I love you, love you. You are opening the tap, you are throwing away dirty water. You don't know you are injuring somebody. That your mother in law will come to a mugo. He's receiving arrows as you are singing. There are spiritual arrows that are coming from your mouth. You are not even aware. You are not even thinking you are doing any warfare. I just want to worship God while I'm cooking. But you don't know arrows have been sent to one stranger that came to your house. All in the name of a kid to do a mugo. Before you know it, she will hate you. Or, or maybe it's your father in law that is an occultist. Or your husband is in the occult. Since you started praying, your husband's uh, incantations are no longer working. He will tell you, divorce more. You must go back to your, to your parents. You know more bloodshed has been, has taken place on our head on account of religion than on account of land's disputes. Two things have led to bloodshed more than any other thing in human history. Land disputes. I get what I'm trying to say. Then they struggle for land. They have killed many people. They over-religion. When they say the north, they are killing Christians. What even led uh, the, the third murder? What even, what even caused the first murder? Cain rose up and killed his own blood brother Abel. His religion. This one offers offering to God. God accepted this one offer offering to God. God rejected. That one said, no way. I'll kill you. God accepted your own accept my own. Religion. It has always led to bloodshed. Jesus said, let me tell you, don't think my coming. In other words, he's trying to say the first coming of Christ does not lead to peace for the second coming of Christ. Because when the second coming of Christ is about to take this, the angel Michael will descend from heaven to find Lucifer and cast him into the bottomless pit. So there will be no demonic presence on this earth for 1,000 years. And so when Jesus comes in the second one of Christ, there is absolute peace. No persecution, no sickness, no fighting, no wars. But his first coming brought soul, division. He said, my coming is for what will be a soul. So it will make, it will, it will necessitate your restructuring of relationships in your mind. The person who will now be closest to you 
The Bible says there is a friend that sticks closer than the brother. The person will not be closest to you, may not even speak at Bible with you. Your best friend may not speak at Bible with you. I've seen two sisters in unhealthy rivalry. I've seen a sister snatch a sister's boyfriend or even husband. I've seen a sister sleeping with her sister's husband. There are some sisters you keep at a place. Hey, your mother will call you and say, hey, she's still your sister. Hey, mama, stay clear. The real sister you will have may, may even be a Yoruba person, may even be an ego, may not even be for my wife. There is no that, that could be your real sister. All these things are redefined. Sisters in Christ, brothers in fathers in Christ. Any fool can be a mother. It takes a white woman to be a mommy. There's a difference between mommy and mother. There's a difference between father and daddy. Any idiot can get drunk and impregnate a woman so you have become a father. You are an idiot who can be a father. So it takes a same wise man to be a daddy over the child that he has fathered. Some have fathered children by virtue of sex. But to be a daddy is a loving care and proper upbringing of children makes you a dad. By sex, you are a father. By caring and proper nurturing, good raising of children, that's when you qualify as a dad. There's a difference between father and daddy. Write it down. You know, all these arguments and other words we have is because of parental failures. So when you see all these woodlocks fighting, all those kidnappers in the bush, it is parents that failed. That failed. Parents. And so when you give birth to children, you know, when you father children and then you daddy them, they are raised holistically and they will have a wholesome mind and the problem of society is reduced. When we give birth to children that we don't father and that we don't daddy and mommy, meaning we don't train them and raise them well, we are increasing society's problem. I want to read something to you. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. Have you seen Matthew 18? From verse 7. War unto the world because of offenses. For it must need be that offenses come. Or woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. John chapter 19. John 19. John 19. John chapter 19 from verse 25. John 19. Have you seen verse 25? Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. Look at verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, 
Behold your son. Then said he to the disciple. Behold thy mother. And from that hour. That disciple took Jesus mother. Into his own home. Look up. All those guys who were taking Jesus. Did not care for their mother. And they are, the siblings of Jesus came. You know if you care about her mama. Call him out. Jare. Not only if they teach. Mommy has been missing him. Now when Jesus was dying on the cross. He was still able to speak some words. Even though he was in pain. Anguish. He was able to talk. There are some recorded words of Jesus on the cross. The seven spoken words of Jesus on the cross. Before he breathed his last. One of them is this. Now he stretched out. Bleeding profusely, his limbs stretched out of joints, blood oozing on his face, dripping down, but he's able to talk. He closed his eyes in pain, and there's sometimes he opens it barely, and he's able, now he's on the cross, suspended. But close by, the disciples, some of them stood afar, and they were watching their other Jesus being crucified like that. But the mother of Jesus was crying. He was like saying, make not kill me with my son. So she dared to come close, close to the cross. And he's using her body to rub on the floor. His son's blood has spattered on the ground. And so while she said, make not kill me with my son, the other two women with her are holding her. They can't crucify you with your son. So the heart of this woman was broken, seeing what was done to her son. So while she's in, while she's weeping, rolling on the floor, the other women are holding her, Jesus is able to see the mother's pain from the cross. And said, Mother, behold your son. All the disciples, most of them were back. They were even afraid that the soldiers may just also handle them because they knew them with Jesus. But John, was by the foot of the cross with those few women. So it was easy. And John is that the one who wrote the book of Revelation. He's called John the Beloved or the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's, that's what the Bible says. Now, of all the disciples, there were 72 that were close. Out of 72, he handpicked 12 that were called the 12 disciples that members. Out of the twelve disciples, there were three, Peter, James, and John, that were the kitchen cabinet. They were closest to Jesus. There are some things Jesus could confide in these three guys. The other nine disciples, we won't tell them. Then even among Peter, James, John, that John the beloved, or called the disciple who Jesus loved, that John was the closest friend Jesus had. And they were age mates. Because Jesus was just in his early 30s. And those guys, they were also in their 30s. That was why when it's time to arrest Jesus, you could not easily distinguish him. And so they have to say, okay, the one I go and kiss, that's the person and all that. Jesus Christ didn't really handpick pick guys that were in his age bracket. He didn't, he didn't take guys that were older than him or some who are teenagers. You understand? John was actually a very good friend of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is dying on the cross and he sees the mother rolling on the floor. And it's like, if I die, now who will take care of this woman? Number one, the other brethren who are calling themselves my siblings don't even believe in me. They don't even believe in, 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 uh, in, in this my movement. So they might even talk my mom 
and make my mom backslide and make my mom go to hell. Jesus Christ was given birth to by Mary. But Mary had to confess the Lordship of Christ for herself to be saved. So, she's, he is thinking, if I die now, this is my younger brothers and sisters, they will make my mom derail in faith. But who will nurture my mom in faith? And even take care of feeding her since Joseph was long dead. That, the real father, the carpenter Joseph, died before Jesus Christ even he became a teenager. So Mary had been a widow. And now he is dying and is looking at the mom in pain. Who will take care of my mom's interest very well? This guy called John, he's one of my disciples. He's a, he's a very good guy. I can vouch for him. He will take care of my mom. And now he's now telling John, behold your mother. He says, son, behold your mother. And John knew what Jesus was talking about. And now said, mother, behold your son. And from that time, when Jesus now died, it was that brother John that took Mary to live with him till Mary died. So, he started calling Mary mommy till the day Mary died. So, brother John will bury Mary the way Jesus would have buried his mom. Put your hands together for Jesus. So, it is not the person that pushed you out of the womb that can only be your mother or your mommy. Now, where was James? That guy who wrote the book of James was not even a believer. I knew how James later got saved. Where was James? Where were the sisters? Because Jesus Christ had three brothers and two sisters. Where were those ones? Why did they allow a total stranger, John, to take their mother from them and build a house for Mary and stayed here, fed Mary, clothed Mary. He did not take Mary as a concubine. He called Mary mommy. Mary died. Because John is just the age mate of Jesus. So when you take the mother of Jesus as your mama, you respect her. But he provided for the woman, took care of the woman. And they both had the same faith in spiritual things. The other siblings of Jesus would have led to the backsliding of Mary. That's what touched Jesus. He didn't want these people to be the one watching over his mom. He knew when it comes to spiritual things, it's not blood is thicker than water you quote when it comes to spiritual things. He told his mom you have a son today called Brother John. James and the other siblings were there. Jesus Christ did not believe in them. He didn't believe in them. Some of them were even I don't want to go into some details. Even the character of James when they were you. So if they were responsible guys the letter became good. You know, James later became a good Christian. But as at the time Jesus was bleeding on that cross, James said, was bleeding and irresponsible. And then he would commit his own mother. Who will take care of my mom when I'm dead? My mom's husband is already long dead. Before I became a man. Who will I commit this woman to? Not to all of this. I will take my mother in. That woman has other children. They are not responsible. Lord is thicker than one. Who told you that? When you come into Christianity, look out in the church. People that are spiritual, make them your close friends. 
It's not for everybody in the church that should be your friend. Some people in church are worse than demons. Inside church, said them is a head Let me tell you what the Bible says. Romans 16, verse 17. Romans 16, 17. Romans 16, 17. If you've seen it, you say yes. Okay, let me read. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them. Someone say mark them. Note them. Beware of them. Look at them properly. Note them. Note them. So inside, hey, the church in Rome is an assembly of Christians. And Paul is writing to the Roman brethren. Now he said, you people in that church, he's not talking to the whole country of Italy. Now the Christians, they in the talk to. He said, mark those people in the congregation. Some troublesome people, some divisive elements, some cantacross people, they day inside church. Wahala people, note them. Avoid them. Meaning, you can come to church, you sit down, you pray your worship. It just happened that this uh, troublesome person, wait him on the huge. I sit down near me today, no problem. Say, tell your neighbor, anything pastor says, you say. But in my mind, I know I can't make this man my friend. Maybe we share the grace, I will get up and go and greet him. My brother is my friend, how are you doing? Okay, I didn't see your wife. So, this is my friend. So, the one that was sitting next to this is my friend. But we're in the same church. I have studied members and I know some must not be my close companions. Jesus Christ had 12 disciples. There were things he told Peter, James, John. He did not tell Bartholomew and Philip. He could not trust them in some things. You must be selective when it comes to choosing friends. Even though not the same church, you not they go. Are you hearing me? Everybody for church cannot be your friend. And don't say, ah, don't talk like that. Oh, we are all one in Christ. We are all one. Now, Bible with a read. He said, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and cause offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For they that are such are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ. I wrote here, I don't care where you come from. I don't care what your name or your tribe is. Just let me see you doing the will of God. You are my brother, you are my sister, you are my father, you are my mother. It is Jesus Christ that told us the new standard of relationship are those who are walking in the truth of the word of God and they are walking in true love. They are not hating you. They are not planning evil against you even though they are in the same church. They don't wish you bad. Let's read one more place. First Corinthians chapter 5. If I read this, I think we'll try. First Corinthians 5. Have you seen it? It is reported, I read from this one, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and the kind of fornication that is not even mentioned among unbelievers. That somebody should be sleeping with his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Let me tell you what's going on here. 
in this church, there is a guy that was sleeping with his father's wife. The Corinthian church was in Greece. Greece is still in Europe. So it's not, it's not tales by moonlight. This really happened. A man in that church was having sex with his father's wife. And his father was also a member of the church. So don't think the father is dead. So he's not sleeping with his father's uh, widow. No, not be so. The man and his wife are still attending that church. And the man's son, you know that way he's sleeping with his stepmother. Does that make some sense? Is that not stepmother? And the two of them were in that church. Now you will not understand all this story until you go and read Second Corinthians, you will see that they were in that church. And the matter was stable before the leadership of the church. Paul was not there at this time. I think Paul was at Ephesus. And the leadership of the church swept the matter under the carpet. You don't know that guy that was sleeping with Father, whether he's a rich man. Because there are some pastors, they know they correct rich men in their church. It's only the people that are not rich that they, they correct and rebuke. This guy sleeping with his father's wife, the father is no longer talking to him. They already, himself and the father, they are already quarreling. Because the father got to know you are sleeping with my wife. And they attended the same church. And the church leadership is not able to handle the matter. They swept it under the carpet. And they are rather talking about spiritual gift. Oh, this one. They, they, you know, I'm more gifted than you. I speak in tongues more than you. Because well, so you guys are puffed up and proud over your spiritual gift. Whether there is sin swept under the carpet in the church. He said the kind of sin that you have even here among unbelievers is not just fornication. You are sleeping with your father's wife and your father is still alive. Then Paul now said, my judgment is this. I am not there. I did for Ephesus. But when you read this letter, you know what I'm supposed to do if I were there. Help me do it. He's talking to whoever is the body of elders ruling that church. So when you read this letter, gather the church together. I am absent in flesh, but my spirit is present. Read the letter and announce the expulsion, the excommunication of the brother who is doing this kind of communication. By retaining that brother in your church, you are causing a spiritual, a bigger spiritual problem. Don't you guys know that a little yeast makes the masticated dough to rise in the baking stuff? He said, no, ye know that a little leaven, that's yeast, leaveneth the whole lump. You know bakery, yeast, and all that. Look at the street. For I verily, even though I am absent in the body, but present in spirit, have already judged the person or judged this matter as though I were present concerning him that has done this evil deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together as a church, don't secretly express somebody. Announce, mention the name of the brother, the woman he has been fornicating with, and say the following words. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are hereby excommunicated. Say it openly. Let everybody know who you are expelling. Don't let rumors go on in the church. 
again. I just said, Pastor, tell them from four, let you know they come. Verse 4 again. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, my spirit is present with you. To deliver, look at verse 5. This one is very serious. Verse 5. To deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. My God, look up. This is what the early church was doing. That brought fear, holy fear to the church. We don't do this anymore. But let me tell you something. What really is Paul saying? Paul said, deliver that guy unto Satan for the destruction of his flesh. That his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This is what that means. He said, when you pronounce the excommunication, say, Satan, I gave you permission to take over the life of this man, but not his spirit. God gave permission to Satan to attack Job. He said, but don't touch his life. Does that make some sense? You know what? Job was going through the destruction of his flesh. Whether not in business wreck, his destruction of his flesh. Whether not in sickness, he's hospitalized and almost died, but he's still breathing. It's the destruction of his flesh. Even if it's the shame alone that comes on you when you are expelled openly, that it brings some emotional, psychological pains. So by the time you are expelled, you are exposed to the demons to attack. At that time, you are no longer a member of the body of Christ. It's dangerous. And there was only one church in the whole of Corinth. The whole city. Today, in Ikorodo alone, you know how many churches. So, in those days, once you are expelled from the church, there is no other church to go. So, you will really be lonely. You will really feel like a fish out of water. In the first century, it will produce the desire of because you will be lonely. You will see another church again. And so that will make you to cry. You cry. You pray. You repent of your sin. And when you pray and repent, God will speak to the pastor. We were very prophetic in those days as we have become in this church. And somebody will tell the pastor, that brother has repented. In fact, he's crying, he's begging, he came to my house. He has told me everything, how he has realized his mistake. He has gone away with that woman. He doesn't come that woman. In fact, he wants to come back to church. Then they will arrange a meeting to bring the guy. Let's interview him. Let's find out. They will investigate. Sometimes they will reinstate the person back to church. Expulsion in the university is different from rustication. Does that make some sense? When you are rusticated, you either miss a sinister. Or miss a session and then come back. When you meet in final year, you are in 300 level. But if you are expelled, you go do jam again. Even if you are in 400 level and you get expelled, in a jam you go do again. So at the end of the day, in Second Corinthians, the way we read in Second Corinthians, that tells of the guy's expulsion. But in Second Corinthians chapter two, we now find Paul saying that he has heard privileged information that the guy has become remorseful, the guy has repented, the guy is, is, is up again on his feet. He's only craving to be restored back to church. No other church for him to go to. If it's not a day, the guy will just go and form his own church. These days you expect people to go and open their own church. At the end of the day, Paul said, okay, I am going to ask you guys to invite him back to 
church. He has repented. He's begging for forgiveness. Invite him back to the church. And when he comes, everybody should give him a hug and confirm his love. Especially the father of the guy. He's even telling Apostle Paul that the guy has left, stopped sleeping with my wife. Are you getting the whole gist? Bring the guy back to church. Confirm your love to him. Don't let the guy be swallowed up with too much sorrow. And let the devil have an advantage over us. For we are not ignorant of his Second Corinthians chapter 2. Please, read it before we go. Second Corinthians chapter 2. So in his second letter, he's dealing with the expulsion matter. How to bring the guy back. Not be everybody that they bring back. So when you expect them, it's forever. Some, you can bring them back. Depending on, on the nature of the, the whole situation and all that. Have you seen 2 Corinthians chapter 2? Look at this. 5. Have you seen verse 5? But if any have caused grief, he has not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Verse 6. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment. Sufficient is this punishment. He said the punishment don't do. Now, no, hear me so. Satan has overtortured the guy. Because you really don't know what the guy was suffering. Because he was handed over to Satan. All this period, he was expelled and handed over to Satan by the church. You don't know what Satan was doing to that man. So he suffered though. So Tepo said, the man don't suffer rich. He says, sufficient unto such a man is this punishment that was afflicted by you all. Is that your Bible? Let me continue reading. So that contrary wise, he ought rather to forgive him. See now, now him first see me, then expel the guy. But having gotten information that the guy has repented, he said they should now forgive. What verse am I? I can't see it again. Seven. Yeah, forgive him and comfort him. Lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that ye will confirm your love towards him. For to this end also did I write. Oh, I like Paul. Paul is talking like a father. He said, this is actually the main reason I'm writing my second epistle. Is that correct? For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. In other words, I told you to expel the guy, and you did. Now I'm telling you, reinstate him. I want to see the proof of your obedience at all times. You obeyed me once, expelling the guy, I said, expel. Now you are going to have to obey me a second time, bring him back to fellowship. Does that make some sense? What verse are we now? Verse 10. To whom ye forgive anything, I also forgive. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgave it, Forgive I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. What Paul is trying to say is that if this particular guy is not reinstated, he will be swallowed up with too much sorrow, he will still eventually backslide. So where he would have needed the church to help him, the church is not going to be there and so he will backslide. And Satan will finally get him and send him to hell. Paul said we are not going to let Satan send this guy even though we handed him over to Satan, or not for Satan to touch his Amen. I want to stop you. 